Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Super excited today. We have a special guest. It's kind of funny. About a week ago, I was having all these issues with figuring out security cameras. And this awesome guy ended up tuning in, took the time out of his day over an hour to dive in and give me step-by-step of exactly what I needed. But as we got to kind of kick it and talk a little bit, we're realizing how much experience and knowledge this guy really has with real estate. And overall, very bold opinion on, and I think I could say bold opinion, right? When, when yeah, it, I, I think it's pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to stop buying real estate right now with all this coronavirus thing going on, and there, there's a little twist to it. So I'm going to let him share and, and dive into you know, what we're talking about with that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, basically, Tom, you're from Massachusetts. That's where you live. You yep. have uh, a ton of real estate experience, but literally when it comes down to managing properties, the security cameras in general, which I got to see all of your properties and check out yep, the, yep. The, the high footage. You know, anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are or what you do, do you mind just diving into <laughs> some of your experience and uh, what you've been through? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. I actually still consult. I still hold a position called principal at a company called Medtronic. It's a medical device company. But, uh, you know, I got into real estate, sort of like stuck my toe in, pulled it out, stuck my toe in, pulled it out, right? Over like the last, I don't know, call it nine years or something like that. But um, really like shifted, shifted assets into real estate you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollar range, right? You know, in like mid 2014 timeframe. So I'm a mechanical engineer, I'm a husband, I'm a father. I'm, my properties are in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. I'm across two different states. Okay. Because where I live, you sort of have access like in either direction to both of them, right? Two insanely different rental markets. The, yeah. the, the laws in Mass and New Hampshire are just it's like the Wild West up there. And it's Massachusetts reinventing every way they want to hold us down down yeah. there. So, but... Uh, Six years ago, really understood like asset preservation and really understood what it means to turn assets into cash flowing entities and make it a living from it. And it, uh, I haven't looked back from there. So I love that. So back in 2007, 2008 range, you started jumping into real estate, right? You got your first buying. Well, it was what a fixer up house. Yeah. My house, the house you see right here around me right now. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, in 2007, I had made a name for myself in, in like the corporate world. I had like, you know, put together some, you know, some funds and some savings. And I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go buy a house half tipped over, you know, whatever. This house was literally half tipped over. I had a unbuilt, a half built addition on the back. The guy went bankrupt from it. Um, it had been sitting for probably eight or nine months. It was like two miles away from where I lived. I'd drive by this thing every day going to work, being like, there's opportunity there, right? Yeah. So, you know, but it just wasn't my thing. Like I was like, you know, I was, I was like climbing that corporate ladder and 
you know, I'd spent five years in engineering school and, and I was like, stay focused, man. Stay focused. Yeah. What are you doing? Like you just, yeah. you just left school a few years ago. Like just stay focused. Sure. So, focus you know, one helps. day I was like, I can't stay focused anymore. I'm just like shiny. Right. And yeah. so I called the broker at the time, got into it and I bought it. And my intention was I'll have this thing rebuilt in my spare time at night and on the weekends in like seven or eight months. I was going to sure. do it myself. Right. And I did. And the house came out, well, I think, really nice. Yeah. But the market just went. So bad timing, just, which is okay. It just disappeared. Yeah. Disappeared, right? Right out from my fingers. And so I was like, well, uh, I need a place to live. I'll just live here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I've just lived here ever since. <laughs> I love that. So yeah. besides 2008, the crash, did was anything else affected? I know you're still working full-time you know, corporate yeah. job at the time, being an engineer, you were one of the first that actually got let off, right? Yeah. So what happened was, is that I got picked up by the startup out of college. And then, you know, I worked for them for like three years and, you know, we IPO'd and it was like this big party and it was great. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, so just like in this business, you sort of make a name for yourself, you get out there. And so in the, on the engineering side of things, you can switch gears and instead of like working full time for a company, you can go be a consultant, like on your own, right? Companies pick you up, you know, and they, you know, they just want to date you for a few months and have you fix a problem and then see you, right? Yeah. Well, so, but when you're doing, you know, normally you do that when you're like 40, right? You got like 25 years of experience behind you, 20 years of experience or whatever. I did it when I was 26. Yeah. And it was working and, and you can make a lot of money doing it, but when the entire market crashes and all product development gets essentially put on hold. You're uh, the yeah. most expensive guy. Yeah, you're the most expensive, young, diaper-wearing, you know, guy in the background. Yeah. Trust me, you're going first. Yeah. Not, not the entrenched guys who have been there for 20 years, who are in their 40s, who have seen it all. You know, I had like a very specialized role and they just, they didn't need that role anymore. So sure. it really shell-shocked the hell out of me, right? Because I, you know, I, I saw on a podcast last week that you, you grew up in Jersey or something like that, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and you grew up on Section 8? Yeah. Yeah, same here, right? So, you know, you, you see all your friends and their fathers and their mothers and everything, everybody's with these corporate jobs, and it's all you know, right? So you go after that, right? Yeah. And then you get it, and then the world yanks it from you, right? Yeah. It, like, it, like, really takes a chip out of you, right? So, you know, um, I've always been entrepreneurial, so long story short, I started this boat company and then I was consulting when I could. And then I, you know, I started this, uh, like this painting company thing and then, you know, consulting when I could back and forth, back and forth, whatever, never missing a mortgage payment, that sort of thing. Just keeping the lights on, keep my head above water, you know, retaining my savings, the whole thing. Right. So market turned around though. Everything was fine and everything went back to normal. And then I've got this big house and I'm living in, you know, all by myself type of thing. And a friend of mine, you know, she had like this extra sort of like, oh, like a, like a, like a mother-in-law, like an in-law suite off her house. Right. Sure. And so she started renting, she started renting that out to like make extra money and stuff. And I was like, well, shit, I got, I got three extra bedrooms in my house. Like yeah. I, 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 I could put a ladder outside and just go up to my bedroom. I don't even need, I don't even need the, the kitchen. You know what I mean? I could like shut off this whole house and just rent it out. And so I did that. I got like three roommates and you know, uh, it's a nice house, so the rents were high, and my expenses were otherwise the same whether they were here or not, really. I mean, you know, a little bit of water, electricity here and there. 
Yeah. And that's when I first got my take, like the taste. Right. And I saw how fast the rents were accumulating, you know, in these, in these accounts that I wasn't even touching it. Right. You know, after six months, I'm like, I just made like what I make in like four months working every day. I made just keeping the lights on, turning yeah. like paying the mortgage. Right. You're just doing right. what I'm supposed to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's great. It's absolutely great. I love it. So that. then I'm like, all right, all right, I gotta like, I gotta start focused on this. And then I just started asking like a million questions. And back then there was like, you know, there might've been bigger pockets. I didn't know about it. Right. I didn't know anybody in real estate. Everybody in my family is all blue collar, right? Nobody, we don't know anybody, right? Yeah. We know how to build stuff, right? So I started calling up banks and just, at, I mean, anybody who would answer the phone, right? Yeah. Can I get a meeting with you? Can I, you know, can I just talk to you on the phone for half an hour? And it was all initially around how is the money structured, right? Yeah. Because you drive by like a thousand houses a day, the houses are there, they can be rented. It was easy, right? You get it you, at the time, right? It's what you don't know. Sure. But you, you get a tenant, they pay you rent, you take care of the place, easy. But on the back side of things, how's the accounting taken care of? How's the money taken care of? How, you know, how, does, how does these things get financed on this side, right? Yeah. And I just asked like a million questions to a million different people, and I nailed down the money end of it first. You know, a lot of people have these dreams of like they find the property, and then they go try to find the money. My advice, and I, I saw it pretty early, was that you find the money first. And then you look at what assets you have, how those can be leveraged, create a plan that's, that, that essentially hedges and is realistic relative to those assets, and then you move forward. And yeah. then, then that, that narrows down your focus. Because a lot of people I talk to who are new, they, they're like, I analyzed 100 deals last week. Why? Like, could you afford all those? Like, were they all within your scope? Were they, you know, do you have the assets to support those and things like that? You know, so. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I can. You gotta, you gotta make sure to stop me, man. I, I gotta. No, no, I it, a lot to, I always have a lot to talk about with these things. So. It's good. I mean, I, I love me, real estate. You had me, and then uh, I, I actually, I'm very firm and very opinionated on uh, always look for the deal first, get a deal under contract, and then you have power. So then you can raise money. A lot of, okay. these, a lot of these new guys that I see that are like struggling what stops them from getting started is the money aspect and they get so scared. They reach out to all these hard money or private money lenders, but they have no experience. They don't even know how to talk the talk or find the deals. So a lot of them get like held up on because they keep on getting denied by the lenders. Yeah. You know, I think the problem for me is that I lack that financial creativity. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Honestly, like I was lucky enough to not come to the table with empty pockets. Yeah. Right? I had situations that happened in my life that allowed me to, you know, amass a certain amount of capital and things like that. And so I could just go the, 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 the straight commercial route. I didn't have, I've never, I've never borrowed, I've never gone private money. I've never gone hard money. Right. I, you know, like I said, I get the JV stuff that we were talking about earlier, but it's only because of the distance away it is and things like that. And it's a whole different story, but yeah, you know. I, I did want to cover, I don't want to leave this out. You know, while the, the market was going crazy and you were doing, you were starting this boat company and so forth, you started an app, right? For the boat company. Is it, was it an app or just a business and you sold it, it was, several it was, years later? It was just a business, but it okay. was, it was a website for it that, 
I saw this niche need for like this mobile repair business. So we live, I, you know, I can like pretty much see the ocean from my house, right? Yeah. Almost, right? It's like right down the street. So we have a lot of boats around here and I've always been completely obsessed with the ocean and yeah. boats and we're going to get into, we're going to get, that's that, that's that thing I told you about earlier about my company name and yeah. why okay. I actually got into real estate. But anyways, so yeah, so I saw a niche, right? You know, you get these guys spending like $135 an hour and nobody's giving any good service. You know, I uh, owned a pretty significant boat at the time. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I'm relying on all these guys to like fix my boats and stuff like that. It's costing me a fortune. And there's a different market for this. There's got to be. And so I started this mobile boat repair company called No Show Mobile Marine. And it's like everybody wanted it. Everybody. That's and it so was good. like exactly what everybody needed in the industry. And we were we were amazing at customer service. And it just took off. It was great. So, so. eventually you sold it a couple of years later, made a good yep. profit afterwards, which really yep. helped you jump into real estate even harder. You know, I actually sold it after I started in real estate for yep. real right? Okay. I always balance different income streams, right? So sure. even to this day, I've still never given up the engineering income stream okay. because I don't have to. Yeah. I just adjust for it, right? So I, these guys that get like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 units and then they're like, I'm retired, yeah. right? Like I'm just going to like leave everything that I've worked the last 15 or 20 years on. And it's like, man, that's, that's a great income stream like that. Yeah. Find a way to keep it simmering at least right like get continue to get something from it this whole section of your brain has been like trained to be really good at this like why completely just toss it out let right? it go right and let it go it's like it's just it's good income stream this is all these things are and one is no better than another right so all my income streams let's say over the last seven years have like completely overlapped and then at some point when it makes sense maybe turned it off Okay. But that it's still rare. Yeah. So let's talk about why real estate for you. And I think this comes down to how you came up with your name, right? Which, which I, <laughs> so, I haven't actually heard this yet. So I'm, no. I'm looking forward to it. So this is like a world debut, unless you're like really close to the chest with me. Because I've actually, it's, okay. I don't know, it's just something, something kind of funny and special. It's, it's, it's going it to be anticlimactic, but it's going to be anticlimactic. But so, so, so the first, uh, you're hearing okay. it here on the first for uh, Ready, You Sick. are, you are, yeah. Publicly the first, but it's, it's silly. So like I told you, I was obsessed with boating. I mean, I had like a 36-foot cruiser yeah. and center consoles and dinghies and you name it. And like I'd buy, you know, I had my big cruiser and then I'd buy like a center console in June, get sick of it, try a horse trade it out for something bigger and better. Do a couple value adds to it, right? Just like we do in real estate. And then to this day, I can say that I have never sold a boat that I purchased for less money than I purchased it for, regardless of how long I owned it. So that's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, I was yeah. just I was just about to state like yeah but like boats aren't uh, an investment but if you're still making money from yeah. it you know yeah. there, there's a it's way it's no I, different everything in this world value add get rid of efficiencies yes. leverage down and you'll make money yeah that's it simple as that, that right so I cut right to it so I had this insane obsession with boats and it was expensive right I mean on the order of anywhere from like. Fifty to eighty thousand dollars a year expense in my wow. life that that was you know wow. unless when I traded and yeah. things like that traded boats you know broke even or made ten grand or whatever you know other than that it was it was very expensive hobby so 
I said, I, I need something that funds this. I need something that like brings in income that I don't have to worry about writing these checks for my boats and I can just enjoy it, right? Because at some point you get like forced to like use your boat, right? Like it's raining out, it doesn't matter. I don't live in San Diego. We have like four months out of the year that like you get your boating in or you're just looking at it under the cover, right? Yeah. So, you know, I was in the water four or five days a week easily. And, um, and so, I, I, you know, you'd feel bad spending all this money. It's raining out. Nobody wants to go out on the boat when it's raining out, right? But you're out there because you're like, I feel like I need to use this thing because I'm just bleeding money, yeah. right? Okay. So I said, I got this. I'm renting my house. Let's do this on a larger scale. So I started researching real estate. Let's forget the, all the background of that and just jump right in. I went big or go home right out of the gate. So I bought a 14-unit building that was 90 miles away from my house and all the stats looked good and its sole purpose was to fund my boat addiction. Yeah. And the corporate structure that I have for my company is MBF Enterprises and it has a bunch of subsidiaries and things like that, but the original subsidy was my boat fund and real estate enterprises. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whatever. Right. So, 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 and then, and then, you know, the first, like the first, the first building I bought, like, you know, like the electric bills coming. Right. And it says like my boat fund and real estate enterprises on it. And you know, our checks say that and stuff like that. So obviously I had to deviate it out and, and do MBF enterprises. But yeah. this day, the parent company for everything that I have is uh, my boat fund and real estate enterprise. I wish I had someone here. I love that. That is going to so be a bill cool. around you somewhere. Yeah, it's I a good it, reminder. Uh, it's a good reminder seeing that every day. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so anyways, so I mean the, the, the real 30 second story on that is um, when I was signing my first mortgage, my first commercial mortgage, my money guy calls me up and he goes, Tom, what's your LLC name? And I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't have one. What do you mean? He's like, you need to go create an LLC today. Yeah. And he goes, but you're going to need a name. And so I got to drive. I had like an hour and 15 minutes driving up north. And I called like my brother and, and one of my best friends, this guy, Greg. I said, guys, I need a name. I need a name for this company. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Right? I didn't know the impact. I don't care. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, I think I'm probably going to regret it if it's not at least minimally decent. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I called up my buddy, Greg, and he's like, dude, well, why are you doing this? He's like, you created a boat fund to you know, fund your hobbies and stuff like that. Just who cares? Call it my boat fund and real estate enterprises. So, and uh, yeah, man, that's, that's what it came from. I yeah, love it. It's, that's just, yeah, it's just done that ever since. And I never got rid of it. And yeah. the parent company is still my boat fund of real estate enterprise. Like all of our leases and checks and bills and everything else that come in for each individual building and stuff, they, they say MBF on them. Do you still have that first property? I still have that first property. So let's talk about that first property. And then afterwards, I'm going to talk about lead generation. But yeah. what, what does that first property look like? Is it still running smooth today? How many hiccups or, or craziness kind of came about from that from that deal? Oh, man, Was it a good deal? You, you need like a dozen podcasts for that. Yeah, right. But, um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you the straight metrics. I'm a metrics nerd, right? Everything yeah. is a spreadsheet for me, right? So 14 units, roughly about 12,000 square feet of rentable space. First floor was an old deli and a laundromat. Second, third, and fourth floor were 12 apartments. And the apartments rent at the time, it's not even, it's not even close to this now, but it was like 600 bucks a month. And it was the single worst building within like a 40 mile radius, right? Yeah. <laughs> Filled with bed bugs and every 
crackhead you could possibly imagine. But I got this thing for $295,000, right? Nice. Just run into the ground. But I know how to build buildings. Yep. And, you know, we can go over that some other time. But I know how to build buildings. And I looked at this building. I was like, this thing's 165 years old. The timber's like 14 by 14. Somebody had come in and revamped all the electrical, plumbing, and wall finishes like drywall systems due to a fire back in 1985. Mm. So in terms of like age, the systems were all modern and brand new. Yeah. But the, the, the apartments were all dated and how they looked. The hallways had, hadn't been renovated in like 80 years. Yeah. Um, there was like very, very inefficient common equipment throughout the building. They had an open litigation for a slip and fall where a woman like broke something uh, because they had like a washout in a driveway. And they just, these, these guys, it was four owners and they thought they were going to get rich and they just lost their shirt, right? Yeah. So I pick it up and I just get to work. One of the first things I did was I, I got a hold of somehow, and again, like I said, I made a joke earlier. I, I have no idea how I met my money guy, but I did. And I have the same money guy today. My advice to anybody out there, Find a source of money that you really click with that person that's in control of it. Yes. If they leave that bank and they go to another one, dump all of your mortgages and follow them. Boom. Go where they're going. They are your water in the middle of a desert, right? Yeah. And make sure that you click with this person and, and, and you guys look at properties the same and you look at risks the same. I mean, it's a big ask, right? To sort of like find your soulmate, so to speak, right? But Might not happen if, overnight, guys. But, but, but do me a favor. Like, do not shop around. Don't go ahead and shop that one extra point. Don't look for those 20 basis points and, and just some guy who gave you your first opportunity, you just leave him in the lurch and, and go running off to the next guy who's a 50 bucks cheaper, sure. right? Stick it out. And I'm telling you, it'll be the best thing you ever did. We mortgage out right now in the high twos. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's because of you know, the commercial side of things. Everything is all about risk, yeah. right? It has no conventional uh, source of, of regulations surrounding it. There are no limitations on what we can borrow or at what rates we can go down to or up to or anything for the most part. For the most so, part, right? So now you got you got the funds from your your private money guy or your hard money. No, 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 no. It was a bank. It was just it was a people's bank. Un, yeah, people's United Bank. Just a, just okay. a standard bank. Yep. People's United. Nice. So you got the money. Is that what it was valued at at the time, or did you get it discounted? It was appraised out like in the fours or something like that. Whatever, something currently something as distressed yep. it was. As distressed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because of and its then, income potential, yeah. And then, how long did it take you to? revivalize so, so the deal was is that brad and i said you know this place is not going to stand like this you can't leave it right you can't yeah. just be like oh we'll just see what happens right yeah so the plan was is that he gave me a um i don't know it was like sixty five thousand dollar construction loan on top of that right yeah. and the deal was that i was going to go in and i was going to uh, get rid of the deli and get rid of the laundromat and i was going to build a two and a three bedroom downstairs and then I was going to use the cash flow from the building upstairs to renovate every one of those units on a rolling basis, right? Yeah. And this all looked really good on paper. So, you know, I walk through the door and I go after permits. I go after, you know, I come up with all my own drawings and designs and architectural sets and everything else like that. This is still around. Right. Oh, here it is right here. Hold on. 
Yeah. So I taught myself SketchUp, and nice. here it is right here, right? This okay. is a whole set of architectural drawings that I did myself, because in New Hampshire, you don't need an architectural license, nice. right? So yeah, that took about three months, because I had to teach myself SketchUp, yeah. and essentially absorb every uh, international building code regulation that ever existed, yeah. and then apply them to paper. So I did that, and I went to the building inspector, and I'll save you the, the story, but essentially it took about nine months to get past that guy. Okay. He hated this building. He wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted the building, like, brought to the ground. Yeah. He didn't want to be, like, on the sign-off for anything. It didn't matter who I hired, who I brought in. This guy was just, like, every little tiny thing you could imagine them to come up with, he did. So I shifted my train of thought, right? You have to be sort of agile on all this stuff. And I didn't go into this deal like exhausting every bit of my capital, right? So I, everything I do in life is hedge, 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 right? Sure. I got plan A, B, and C, and then A, B, and C on each top of one of those, right? The same way, so, like that. Exactly, right? You, you have to. You, have, you can't sleep at night otherwise, right? And then, you know, and then the next thing you know, you see a guy on a podcast and you never see him on a podcast ever, right? So <laughs> True stuff. We'll see yeah, we'll yeah. So, oh, what happened to Larry? Oh, well, he bought that building. We told him not to, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So this guy kept me in the lurch for like nine months, and I was like, all right, it was we were gonna we were gonna renovate the first floor first, and then I was gonna go upstairs. Mm-hmm. So then I shifted it around. The apartments upstairs, they're like seven hundred and fifty square feet a piece, all one beds. I love one beds; they're fantastic. It's all about square footage, right? So yeah. it's all about money per square foot. Sure. You know, so I shifted resources and every day, because I, I still had like, I still went to like my engineering job every single day. So every single afternoon I would leave work and I would go up there. I'd work until like midnight, hour and a half drive home, get up the next morning, do it all over again. 16 hour days, every Saturday, every Sunday. And I did that for about five months. Mm-hmm. Then it would like flop out like a victim or they'd leave on their own. And then I would completely rebuild the apartments and they had good, strong bones and structure. So I wasn't having to do like electrical and plumbing and everything. I mean, you know, fixtures and and finish and things like that and all new carpets and cabinets and flooring and walls and whatever, right? Cosmetic. Um, You know, doors and all all kinds of fun stuff, yeah. So I did that myself. By the time I was done with this building, I had hired 82 local professionals in some capacity. Yeah. We called it the year of the 1099. It was just, it was just so many 1099s, it was crazy. So I shipped the resource that we finally got a new building inspector in town. I had to go before the board get this guy voted out, get a new guy voted in. And then the new building inspector was amazing. And then I got to kick off my build downstairs. And yeah, the building, incredible now. So it took probably a, a little over... 18 months, 19 months. Yeah. And then... Like signing to like when I was getting my CO for the for the first floor and the all the additional fire systems and everything else. So Did you do a cash out refi at that point? I did because at that particular point because I had to like shift resources and flip it around. I didn't have access to the construction loan. Sure. Right? Because it still was my first deal, right? No matter how much I convinced this guy that, you know, I was, I was yeah. going to like do this or die. Yeah. It still was my first deal. Right. So they're not just going to be like, okay, well, here's the money and go use it for something else. Instead, sure. right? yeah, Come yeah. back when you need more and you've blown it all. Yeah. So at the end, credit cards maxed out, you know, lines of credit maxed out. You know, my personal bank account had like five grand left in it, right? Yeah. And that was just like, I'm probably lying. I probably had $5 or something. Oh, who yeah. knows, right? And then, uh, yeah, I did a cash out refi for like $417,000 or something like that. Okay. Meaning like that was the cash out. 
So is the building in 18 months, I took the 295 building and turned it into 1.32 million. So it was 1.32 million. After- I got it. I bought it for 295. It appraised at purchase for like four and a quarter, whatever it is. I don't know. And then 18 months later, when I was getting it refinanced, you know, when I was refinancing it, and it's stable. Uh, now that it's all brand new. Yeah. One, one, yeah, one, three, something. I love that. And how much did you end up putting into it? Obviously, a lot of time, but how much money wise? The thing is, so I, uh, you know, whatever, 20% of 295, it was like 50 grand or something like that to start. Yeah. And then what I would do is, you know, every bit of profit from the building every month, that would be my operating budget for revamping the apartments upstairs. Okay. And then the downstairs stuff, it's actually kind of like this amazing fate of the universe that it all happened that way. Yeah. Because we needed a lot more money downstairs than I had originally scoped <laughs> out for. Imagine that, right? Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? Oh my God, we didn't meet budget, no shit. And then, but like, I had 12 completely revamped apartments going at 30% additional rent now mm-hmm. that were just flying cash flow in. Yeah, I love that. So that funded downstairs. Yeah, I'm about 25, almost, yeah, about 25,000 over budget right now on my current project. <laughs> but nice. uh, yeah, it's pretty it's average. the world, man. It is what yeah. it is. But you hedged and you're okay and the yeah. lights are on, right? Yeah. Life's you good. Didn't, you didn't spend the farm, right? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you, you're not eating ramen and dog food, so you must That's be right. doing something right. Yeah, yeah. Life, life's still good. Life still goes on. So I do want to talk about lead generation, but why don't we just jump into it for one second in regards to the bold title of this, which is stop buying real estate, you know, so <laughs> stop buying real estate. And here's why, because there is a funny little twist to it. There's a lot of chaos going on with the news, mm-hmm. the media, the market in general. A lot of lenders currently right now are actually freezing up and, and holding on. I know several people that were in the middle of a refi or a purchase yep. and then just yep. a total halt because the lender's mm-hmm. underwriting isn't moving forward. You know, the stock market has gone up and down a million times. No, I don't even try. I don't even, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't look at that either, but know. you know, usually it's stocks first, then real estate. So what is your opinion on, I guess with the <clears throat> coronavirus and everything, why would it be, I know you're not buying anything right now, right? No, but my eyes are always open, but no, I'm not exactly like, you know, sneaking around in the middle of the night with flashlights and windows looking at deals right now. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so why stop buying real estate right now? And I, uh, I know there's contingencies so, so on this, right? I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, man. Yeah. I'm throwing <laughs> so you Because, you know, you know, you could be an ambulance chaser right now and probably find a lot of people that are going to be coming distressed, right? Yeah. And you could either take two choice, you know, you could take two pathways. You could try to help that person keep their current asset, advise them, or give them, you know, you know, share, you know, common resources together, or network with, you know, network with other people, connect those people to help this person stay in their asset. Or you could steal it all from underneath of them, um, and you know, if they lose it, frankly, it is their own fault because they should have hedged, 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 but they didn't, right? So. What we're doing right now is, you know, we have a whole portfolio of assets in two different states, and we could go ahead and say it's the unprecedented angle that in the first month or so that this is happening, people's resources are getting taxed. Yeah. Next month and the month after that, that's when we're going to, if we're going to feel something, that's when we're going to feel it, mm. right? Because people, 
most Americans have about a month worth of capital, maybe six weeks. Yeah. Then they're struggling, right? Not enough so, are really prepared for something, you know, long. Yeah, no, nobody like, usually is. Yeah. Nobody usually is. Unless they're going to, like, they, now they're going to jump into their 401ks and they got to do this and everybody's getting, you know, but their 401ks are now trashed because the economy, you know, because of the stock market and people are going to be flipping them. So your, your average home buyer and things like that, I mean, they got equity, they got this, they got that, they got, you know, city work. On the rental side of things, depending on what market you're in, I mean, downtown San Diego, you know, renting a house probably a third of my size probably costs twice as much, right? So it's all relevant. But around here, your average renter has got, you know, anywhere from like fifty to $80,000 in income per year, right? Sure. And so if that income stream just shuts off and they're in their 20s or early 30s, they got no capital built up. Yeah. Then you're going to start to like, you go buy a building tomorrow, the financials are going to look great. Your income streams are going to look great. You have no idea what these tenants do for a living. You have no idea what type of human beings they are, right? They could be somebody who cares about just themselves or they care about the common good. Yeah. We, on the other hand, only rent to the second group of people, <laughs> yeah. right? We're like, shit goes bad for you. That means it goes bad for me and vice versa. Okay. Yeah. So, and if you understand that, then come on in, we'll rent you an apartment. But if you're all about yourself and if things go south and you just check a box and that's it, turn the lights off and walk out. That's, that's not what we're about. So anyways, because like, for instance, if, if we have tenants that have problems any other time, right. Any other normal time, we're right there for them, yeah. right there for them. Payment plans, you know, miss a month. We have a program type of thing called miss a month and we're there for them. So anyways, my point is, is that no matter how good of a tenant structure you have, when the money's gone, the money's gone. Sure. Right. And the deals that you're going to be looking at in the short term right now are going to have financials from last year. Yep. You can assume look, what. It's huh? going to look okay. It's going to look it's good. It's going to look okay. Right. It's going to look okay. But unless every single person in that building is a nurse. Yeah. All right. Then. Who knows what's going to happen, yeah. right? Yeah. You're going to, you're going to, this guy's selling for a reason. And I saw on a podcast one time that you said, you know, I always ask you, what are you going to do with the money? Same here. Yeah. Why are you selling? Yeah. Do I need to be worried while you're selling? Yeah. It's important. It's in- like, where's that door where you've got like, you know, a half a dozen dead people back here that yeah. I don't know about. Right. Yeah. And so I actually like, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not horrible to sell to, but I, I will ask you questions. Like well, you can be guaranteed yeah. and I'm going to ask you probably some uncomfortable ones. Yeah. But right now, like what, like everything is about risk, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to go buy something unless you buy it from your buddy who you know, you know, who you know is going to treat you right and be like, all right, listen, you're going to worry about seven and two and 12 and the other, the other, the other five are going to be fine. Right. Yeah. Where's that deal? Yeah. <laughs> So, like, so this, is, that though. Th- this is what I wanted to clarify though, because I know y- you're very bold on like right now is not the time to be buying real estate, right? It, you know, let's wait it out, see what the next six months look like or what have you on the second hand of that, on the other side, on the you know flip side of the coin here, we definitely don't want to discourage any new people that are willing no, absolutely to not. work. Absolutely and, not. Right. Willing to grind it and get out there. If you come across like a rock solid, home run deal, like pick it up. There's going to be opportunities. And if you can negotiate, 
and you can negotiate something even at a better discounted rate than like of course it's a no-brainer we'll pick it up as well right yeah you call me yeah Brandon will put my email at the end of this yeah. my phone's right here yeah. we've got cash yeah okay? exactly. so <laughs> but besides that and i do agree with you we you know we're not staying up late night like we might have in the past no looking and searching around really hunting for the deals for the opportunity mm -hmm. you know because right now is one of those rare situations that we don't know what tomorrow necessarily is going to look like we know what the last 30 you know days have been 45 days and it's new times right now like history is definitely in the making currently so yeah. what what the next couple months look like or the side effects from the last 60 days what that's going to look like in the future, who knows? And that's what we're kind of right. we're looking at. I mean, you you know relatively quickly, and, and I mean relatively because, you know, real estate's a long game, right? Especially on the buy and hold side. Yeah. But in the next six months, I mean, I'll be right back into the swing of it, right? Yeah. But anybody, you know, and, and like I said to you earlier before we, you know, we started the call or whatever, but if there's a 22-year-old out there with, with no wife, no mortgage, you know, he's driving his hoopty from college, yeah. right? And, and he's got some extra cash in his, in his bank account from some whatever, whatever source of, you're the market right now, pal, right? Yeah. Like you go by, like you shouldn't stop for anything. I love that. Um, that's like anybody who has that or is in a position to be that, you know, have such a high risk tolerance. Yeah, you should you should be on like just pedal to the floor, no matter what, no matter what, and 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 all financial in, in all markets, right? But so a guy like me, you know, I'm married, I'm 38 years old, and I've got a 15 month old son downstairs. I got a baby girl on the way. Yeah, I have killed myself creating this portfolio, yep. and I'll be goddamned if I'm going to let it go. No one is taking this from me. That's right. right. Like, Come try. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so currently right now you're focusing more your time and energy on improving your rentals, yes. improving yep. the relationships yep. with your tenants to make yep. sure that they're above and beyond happy. Yep. So when something does, you know, whatever market we're in right now, if it does get worse in the future, you're going to have those locations that people are going to be proud to pay to stay in those. Right. That's right. And so, and what happens is, is that, Unfortunately, some people may need to transition. Of course. But those people in, you know, you're going to have a lot of properties that even if the rent's being paid um, because they can't get serviced or they don't have the right vertical integration yep. in their companies, in their company status, you're going to have guys who have lost a ton of money in the stock market and they want to get that, that equity out of that asset and they're going to be pushing it to market. And, you know, you're going to have guys coming in who are wanting to like renovate those buildings and we're going to have access to a ton of great tenants. Which is cool. Yeah. So my point is I'm sort of just sitting on the sideline. Yeah. I'm just waiting it out. And I'm not in this like, got to find a deal, got to find a deal, got to find a deal, right? Uh, attitude all the time. So I'm saying I still got to do something. I got, you know, I got too much energy, right? So we're, we're looking at like, where, where can we add capital value, right? Where is, where, where, I mean, we're always looking for inefficiencies in buildings. We're always looking for value add, but sometimes, you know, you can only take it so far and it's like, you know what, I got to leave that one on the table. I got another building over here. I got to go after. Well, at this point now, because we don't have a, this constant flow in of new properties, then because when we buy properties, they're always like half tipped over and we're like completely doing right? bunch so, of cracks and everything. You yeah, got to rebuild oh the God. whole thing. Like, yeah. yeah, just people Worst just like skittering around in the dark, right? Red eyes and stuff, yeah. right? It's horrible. 
you know, yeah, it, it's crazy. So I'm looking back at the portfolio and saying, you know what, let's add this here. Let's remind these great tenants why they rent from us, right? Yeah. Let's remind these tenants to stay with us. Let's remind these tenants that we're there for them, but be straight with us. Sure. Keep that communication open. Something bad happens. Tell us immediately so that we can plan for it. Yep. And we can keep everything running accordingly, right? Yeah. And we can hedge, hedge, hedge. Yeah. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of landscaping stuff and we're actually going into apartments. We're like, you know, why don't we upgrade this or we'll upgrade that. Yeah. And, you know, because we got to keep the capital moving into the properties, you know, the best we can to constantly be providing competitive value adds to the market, right? Of course. We let our apartments stay stagnant. They, they age in accommodations. They age in quality. They age in, in wear and tear. The capital and, expenditures. And why wait for a tenant to leave? Yeah, yeah, of course. Give, give your great tenants right now a reason to know that they should keep you in their best interest as well. That's so good. I love that. And you were talking earlier, I, I don't know if we were covering it as we were live here or before the call, but some of these new guys that have the ambition, have the, aren't tied down, stuff like that, and uh, have the resources possibly, or whatever their assets are. You were mentioning, you know, even if they have to sell cans and stuff like that, just whatever utilizing, do, yeah, whatever it may be. You could start with renting a doghouse. You don't have to go straight to 14 units, right? It's so good. Like, like, just, you know, I see all these people on the sidelines all the time, these super smart, hardworking, just like super driven person. I just want that thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, why aren't you jumping, yeah. right? Why aren't you jumping? What's stopping you from jumping? And it's usually, and, and I hate to say this because people, you know, like the really driven people out there are like, don't limit the size of your dreams. Seriously though, your dreams have to have a limit, right? There's only well, there, so much there's capital. There's levels to it, right? You there's levels to it. it, right? Like let your dreams grow, Yeah. but just be realistic about what they are right now. Yeah. They got <laughs> to be, you know, actionable. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be actionable, right? So, so my point is, is that you got, you got 10 grand in your pocket. Figure out how to leverage that 10 grand into something that cash flows. Yep. Okay. You got to leverage down with a bank. Great. Buy a four family. You can put three or 5% down, right? You, you want to leverage 10 grand into some, you know, multifamily that's like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 units. Okay. Yep. Find yourself a money guy. Find yourself a private lender. Find whatever you're going to find. Or say to yourself, you know what? Keep it small. I'm going to go and buy this doghouse over there. I'm going to paint it up. I'm going to put some new shutters on it. I'm going to rent it to that dog grooming place down the street yeah. and I'm going to get my hundred bucks a month, right? So Whatever good. it takes. Whatever it takes. So, so I was doing similar things. You know, once I saved up $10,000, it was a long time since that I, you know, I found myself in debt. I got myself out of it and I finally saved up 10000 And at that point I was like, okay, now that I have 10000 I need to put it to work somewhere. I didn't know really what yet, so I just kept on studying. And God forbid you make the wrong choice, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're terrified. Like, I just, it was, it was like backbreaking to put 10 grand in the bank. Now, God forbid I lose it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that fear. Like, you don't want it to go because, you know, it possibly could. So, I was just doing all the education I could, reading books, but I was also donating blood plasma at the time and, and getting paid this. to do it as well. So, I was doing that twice a week for over two years while I'm reading books at the same time, trying to kill two birds at once, saving up thousands of dollars from that. And then, you know, we were collecting cans as well, just because yeah. I saw Whatever other people making money from it, you know? You know, the worst thing that someone can say to me is like, 
you know, I had a guy say, like this up and coming guy say to me at like a multi, some multi family networking thing that I was at like in January, something like that. I just bought a property. He said, it's a, it's a six family. It's in Southern New Hampshire, but you know, it's costing me a fortune to renovate it. Yeah. All right, man. They sell hammers at Home Depot. Yeah. YouTube is amazing. You can build skyscrapers off what you can learn from YouTube, right? Yes. Go buy yourself a goddamn hammer, pull out your dirty pants and shoes and go do it your damn self. Like what's up? He looked at me and he said, I went, I went to business school for six years so that I would never have to swing a hammer. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know what, man, you picked the wrong place to park your goddamn money. Yeah, yeah. You pick the wrong place, pal. Like you don't start out with this getting it handed to you. You, you, you. Oh man, if I could show you some shoes, there's a pair of shoes around here that I that I've got like framed in a box or whatever. Man, I wore those things until we refinanced. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, he just had this attitude like, no, that's below me. And I'm like, you want it or not? So it's it's a sweat equity and then getting creative. So we got to the point Mm -hmm. where we saved up. You know, even with collecting cans, we were just going to restaurants and picking them up. So I didn't need to dig in trash cans and just pick whatever, them up. Man. whatever you got to yeah. do, though, right? Yeah, it's but, more uh, efficient that way, right? You go to one stop, you get a thousand cans. You got to go yes. to a thousand houses to get, you know. So be be creative. Think think for yourself. And then doing that, you know, we we're just googling different ways that we could get extra money. So we took that ten thousand, turned it. It took a little bit of time, but you know, we turned it into thirty five thousand. And then we realized we could use credit as well. So we... Yeah, that's cool. See, I left my credit untouched as like a, a backup plan. Yeah. Right? It was like, I put it under a glass with a little hammer next to it and said, break glass case of emergency, right? Yeah. And yeah. I smashed the hell out of that glass. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was there when I needed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's power behind it and, and just getting creative, which which I really love. And the sweat equity, you know, that that's where it comes into. But kind of like you mentioned as well, all real estate or any type of business really, you know, it's the value add. So it's finding whatever kind of stability it's at right now, ideally distressed, and then finding how you can improve it, make it better and increase the value in it, which I love. Yeah. A lot of viewers should like, should, so, so an old timer gave me this example a long time ago. He goes, if you, if your intention is to buy a property and not create any efficiencies and not create any value adds, then you're buying an asset that is performing wherever here. Yeah. But the guy you're buying it from doesn't think that that's good enough. Yeah. So, so much so that he's willing to sell it. Yeah. And you're thinking that you're just going to come in and keep running business as usual. And somehow you're smarter than that last guy. No, that's not how it works. You should be a money partner. If you're going to, if you want that type that's of right. thing, just, uh, stable, you just want everything to just be smooth and just, you know, just give me the keys and I'm going to go home now. Yeah. Right. Like, what's the point? The whole point like, of buying an asset is, is seeing something that somebody else doesn't. Right? Sure. You can see the inefficiencies and more importantly, how to improve on them. If you can decrease operating costs, if you can increase rents, blah, 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 right? Those are easier said than done. Yeah. But, you know, if you find that there's like an extra space in the building over here or, you know, you and I talked about in our, in our sort of like, you know, unofficial thing last week about, yeah. <laughs> you know, my company, we give no questions asked, free internet to everybody. Right. Yeah. And it's not like crappy Starbucks Wi-Fi. We have like full gigabit, lot, you know, fiber optic line systems that come to these buildings. And if every single tenant's going to be spending 75 bucks a month, and it's insanely rare that nobody does that. Right. Everybody's spending 60, 75, a hundred or more money, you know, per month, or I can give it to you for free. Right. Yeah. And if you don't mind paying an extra 50, 60 bucks more a month than your rent 
to save the 15, but realistically, you don't even really know you're doing that. It's just that this rent seems good and I get free internet, yeah. whatever, right? Oh. And we have one commercial class internet package that comes in for a fraction of the cost of 75 times, you know, X amount of units, Sure. then we're making money, right? Yeah. If we can replace your furnace, pay for your heat, negotiate a gas contract, your rent goes up by a hundred bucks a month, yeah. but your gas bill used to be 200. I get your gas bill down to 50, I pocket 150. Exactly. Right? You do that on a scale and you got something, you got something there. I love that so much. Tom, I feel like I really wanted to dive into so many other things. We are pushing it on time, so I don't, I don't know. If oh, really? What? How long have we been doing? Like, it's already been that long already. Yeah, it's, it's been an hour already. But if you don't mind, you know, I'm, I'm totally okay with it to dive in quickly on uh, sure. like detailed stuff. You know, like lead generation. Oh, this stuff is big stuff. Yeah, lead generation, and then analyzing deals, and then I, I wanted to also just ask about exit strategies. Okay, I can handle two of those real fast. Okay. Lead generation, I'm not your guy, okay? okay. I can be way better at this. I, I mean, I could be way better at this. Sure. I'm more about like developing the property when it, when it comes my way type of yeah. thing, but yeah. I know a lot of guys who are just like killing it on lead generation, right? And they're yeah. wholesalers for a reason, right? Because they, they can really find this, out. Yeah. This, you, you couldn't pay me, I mean, no offense to the wholesalers of the world. Yes. It's just, you know, it's just not for me, yeah. right? So me, I'm a... Once I invested an asset long-term, I married it, right? Yep. I've never sold a property and I don't know why I would because I have amazing line of credit structures on my properties, leveraging the equity up to yeah. about 95%. Nice. And so if I ever need access to that, I could sell it and get the extra five, of which, by the way, we give to realtors. Yeah. Or I leave five there and with a second position line of credit with my guy, yeah. right? I can take that money out, go put it somewhere else and let that thing cash flow out, pay back, you know, pay it back and then bring it back in. Yeah. Right. So I never sell properties. I'll never say I'll never do it obviously. Right. But I'd be very surprised if I don't die one day with most of the stuff I own right now. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. All right. So anyway, sorry. So there was lead generation. Probably not your best guess for that. Exit but, and strategies. Then that's exit strategies. I, I just covered that one. <laughs> and <laughs> There's then, a million different exit strategies, but always have a plan B. Know where you're going so that you can structure your exit strategy surrounding that. And exit so, strategy doesn't necessarily mean you have to sell. It just means how you're going to get the money back out. Yeah. I know with certain markets, like let's say like Detroit, right? You know, you can get ridiculous amounts of cash flow no appreciation whatsoever. So the cap Fine. rates are great, but you know, how are you actually going to exit from a property like that? God forbid, if you needed to in the future, it's going to be one of those things that you'll probably have to take somewhat of a loss in certain avenues. And I know the flip side of that, there's also syndications of a big multifamily typically have an exit strategy because their income hits a peak of what, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, yeah, that's like a whole other podcast show just for that. Yeah, I know. I know. It's detailed. About the depreciation of syndicated assets and exit strategies on that. That's, yeah, that's, it gets, that's that's about five hours. Yeah. Yeah. It gets gets a bit much. (laughs) Um, But anyway. So analyzing deals. Yeah. All right. So for me, my first deal was analyzed. Will this cover my boat obsession or not? Yeah. (laughs) It was real easy. Real Real easy. Right. And it did. 
And so I was in. But then after that, you know, what, what, what I want to say for like new guys is, is that you're not going to get a second intuition for analyzing deals until you, it's like the 10,000 hours to masters type of thing, right? Yeah, you got to go through. You know, one day you woke up and you were a baby and you started to walk, but you walked kind of funny, right? Yeah. Like my son will probably walk in here any second, right? Yeah. And, but you got better at walking, right? But you walked. And so this is the same thing with analyzing deals. Know the fundamentals, right? But more importantly, know what your goal is, right? Like, where's your threshold? Are you willing to do all this for 50 bucks a month in cash flow? Or do you want like five grand in cash flow? Yeah. Because if this deal doesn't do that for you, you're going to be unhappy. And if sure. this, th- this thing will become an anchor on you, right? All right. So analyzing deals is, it's very simple. Pull up like a whole sheet and just show you exactly how I analyze a deal out. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want. All right. Well, the thing is, is that for me though, it's important. Like I know how I analyze deals. I mean, that's, that's easy, but it's the concept of, you know, especially for new guys and stuff, what is your goal and what is your threshold? And it doesn't matter what the guy next to you has for threshold. It's what you have. Right. Yeah. So for me right now, my fundamental threshold, when I'm just like seeing something on my phone or somebody emails something and I just do some quick math in my head and I take the major items and just pan them out. Right. Is that, if you take the sales price of a, uh, the purchase price of a deal, I'm looking for what I call cash in the bucket at the end of the day, meaning like after all debt service, after all my reserves, everything of a minimum. And this has only changed just recently because of the giant 20% spike in the market out here in the last year and a half yeah. is 8%. So an 8%, every dollar, you know, 8% of the money is left over from the total gross in the bucket at the end of the year. No questions asked. Okay. All right. Now I used to be back in 2015 around like 12%. Sure. But I've had to readjust down as the market comes up. So you take your total gross income, you minus all of your expenses, your debt service, any type of reasonable, you know, CapEx reserves that you want to put in there and whatever's left over at the end, that's, you know, so if I'm purchasing for a million, they damn well better be $80,000 left over afterwards. Sure. Now that's just to get me in the door. Yeah. Just to get me in the door. Because what I'll do is that I'll then, you know, find my inefficiencies and get rid of them. I'll get my rents up by providing better services. Yeah. Right? So you'll include um, all these. Right. And just, just get everything all cleaned up. I'll turn that eight into a 14. Yeah. And you just mentioned a moment ago, like capital expenditures, just in case if anybody doesn't know exactly what the capital expenditures are, that, that's basically the high ticket items that you're not going to have to replace every year, but let's right. say a roof every 20 years, you know, yep. instead of 10 grand for a roof coming out of your pocket all at once, you know, budget. If, if you got 10 years left on your current roof that you need to replace, then whatever the math is per month just to save for that and yeah. hot water tank, windows, whatever it may be. Yeah, I mean, some rough numbers for like really new people who like don't know how to build, like the cost of building, you can take your 27 and a half year depreciation on your purchase price. Yeah. And you can take a safe hold of a certain percentage of that. So let's say you've got, you know, a million dollar property, right? Let me see here. So, you know, your base, let's say that we don't even take into account for land. I don't want to complicate things, right? Obviously. Yeah. So let's say that your base is a million after okay. removing the land portion, right? So, you know, you're going to divide that out by 27 and a half year depreciation. These are all just very fairy tale numbers, right? Yeah, yeah. This is if you want to like just start, like anybody who's experienced does not do it this way. 
but this is a this is a good swing at the fence. You're going to get within 80, 90 percent. All right. Yeah, it's like a rule of thumb. Don't yeah, the two percent rule, the one percent rule doesn't really work, but it's a good it's a good like ruler for just judging while you're driving around, right? So you know, so you're gonna depreciate about thirty six grand a year on a million dollar basis property, right? Yeah. So you want to say to yourself, I need to counteract that depreciation if it's real. If you're actually depreciating in value from wear and tear, things wearing out, roofs going, this going, siding going, and if that's really like thirty six thousand dollars a year, which Uncle Sam says it is, then you should take a fraction of that. And, well, you should try to match that yeah. in, your, in your capital reserve expenditures, ideally. Um, but realistically, it's your first deal. So you won't be able to because you won't have any money. So yeah. you won't even have a CapEx account yeah. in the reality of it, right? I didn't. I didn't have a CapEx account. You know, it was just how much money came in last month that's left over. Well, that's my budget for the, the next apartment. Sure. Right? So and that's it. But uh, for me, yeah, so, you know, there's a lot more complications in analyzing deals down inside there. There's the psychological effect, you know, you know, factors of it. Are you getting real numbers? What's your source of information? That's the important ones, honestly, right? If you can't trust those numbers that you're getting, what's the point of, like, running the analysis anyways? True. So, for me, though, that's my basis. That's my green light, red light. If that red light goes off and says that it comes in under 8%, I'm not even making a phone call. I don't care how inefficient it is. I'll never be able to make that property what I want it to be. So, and I found that over time. So you wouldn't even call in to tell Don't them? Don't even want to know because it's so far off from yeah. like where I need to get it to. Sure. For, for, it to be, for, for me to take all my time to manage it and to integrate it into our portfolio. And this is for me. This doesn't apply to anybody. This is yeah, yeah. thumb. This is MBF Enterprises and how we yeah. do business behind closed doors. Yeah. If it's starting out less than 8%, I'm out. Okay. Like I don't even want to know anymore after that. So me personally, how I do it just slightly different is I'll analyze all the type of deals that I think could potentially be good. And even if it is far off, I'll still submit offers on it and then they can laugh at it or whatever it is. But I yeah, figured yeah. I already did the, the five minute or the 10 minute quick numbers. So if I took the time into it, I might as well submit the offer. And yeah, I hear that from guys. Guys judge me that on that all the time. They're like, you know, I submitted like 40 offers last month and I'm like, I don't submit any. Yeah. <laughs> because, because what happens for me is, is when something goes over 8%, get out of my way, man. I don't care what you're offering. I know I can make it 12, 13, 14. I run by this place, yep. do a quick assessment, and I'm just like, cha-ching, this Boom. is mine. In six weeks, we're going to own this. Yes. I don't care how many guys are at the front door. I have escalation clauses because I know I can make that successful. It's going to be worth our time. Yeah. So. Every, except for one property ever that I've put an offering on, we've closed on. Okay. Every single property except for one. And that's a different story. But uh, there was, it was because we were misfed information. Uh, right? okay. So the information that I made the decision on was incorrect. That's where it comes into trusting the information. And, uh, trust but verify. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trust but verify. That's yeah. for damn sure. Right? That's good. And then even then verify again and then see if it's, you know, just see if it makes sense. Yeah. And keep asking. I, I like to keep asking the same questions over until like they get annoyed. But yeah, yeah. But I've already told you this before. Yeah, yeah. I just want to hear you say it twice and three yeah. times and four times. Make sure you give me the same answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you'll be surprised when like by the third or fourth time it comes out to something else. It's like, 
Well, that's the first time you ever told me that. Yeah, and well, then the thing is, is that like you know, I, again, I I'm not creeping. Well, I, I kind of am creeping on your podcast, like recently. Creep on, creep on. Yeah, creep on, <laughs> creep away, right? So I heard you say, lost my train of thought. I heard you say uh, that you just started getting into Section Eight rentals, right? Yes. Okay, so there is so many regulations around Section Eight rentals, and they're easy to follow once you know them. Yeah. But like people need to understand that if you break those rules like in it, like, and you have the intent to do so and you've done it knowingly, like maliciously, yes. it's a federal yeah. felony, yeah, right? It it's not like you go to court and you're like, I don't know, right? Yeah. Like you do, yeah. like you signed all this crazy paperwork. Yes. They were like, sign it twice. Yeah. And you know, they're called, if everybody listening, they're called HAP agreements, yep. right? And um, you know, it's, you got to be real careful. So the point, though, is is that oftentimes where Massachusetts is a huge subsidized state, right? Mm. Like we have a lot of professional tenants; they're amazing people, but these people don't pay rent, and they they get crazy subsidies, like on eighteen hundred dollar apartments, they're paying forty nine bucks a month, right? Wow. And so with all utilities included and everything else. So my point is, though, is that when you go buy a property and you're getting fed misinformation from somebody about that apartment, about their rent, about yeah. these side deals that they have with these yeah. tenants. Super illegal, by the way. Yeah. Super, super illegal. One penny more. You can't, you can't rent storage. You, you can't charge for dog. You can't, you can't do anything. The premium parking spot, none of that. None of that applies to these people, right? It either meets HUD requirements or it doesn't. Yeah. And so long story short, we got fed a bunch of misinformation on a six-family in a town called Fitchburg. And we had originally, we closed so fast that we have this whole package that we go after each one of the, um, the housing authorities that apply to the building with, right? We like, you ask all these questions. They're called estoppels. We get estoppels from the tenants, but we also get estoppels from the housing authorities as well. Sure. And, uh, and we know most of the people that are like the, the, the players there. So they, you know, they're real honest with us. So long story short, we closed so fast that I couldn't get the response from one of these housing authorities. And so I come in and, you know, the, the tenant pays the rent. I think it's the right rent. And come to find out she's paying for like, I use these examples before, but it's real. Premium parking, a rental, you know, a storage thing in the basement. She was reimbursing the landlord for the utility allowance that the housing authority was providing. Oh. Right. Insane. And so like the reason why we figured this out is because she sends us a check for like what she received from the housing authority, right? Well, no, no, no. So she, the, the normal rent came to us, right? Yeah. All of our rent goes into a bank account. We never see yeah. the rent, right? All the tenants deposited. We never, they don't send us checks. But this tenant sent us a check for, it was like $89. And I call her up. I'm like, what's this for? She goes, oh, no, no. That's um, your portion of the, of the, uh, the uh, utility subsidy. I go, I'm sorry, this is what, no, I, and it took me like, like a half an hour. Like I would just, what my brain just wasn't going in that direction. Right. To me to like click and go, Whoa, yeah. wait a minute. Oh. Whoa, Jesus. <laughs> like somebody put this in a box someplace and get my fingerprints off of it. Right. Like, and so I like immediately like left like 1700 emails and made like five phone calls to like everybody I could over at this housing agency. I was like, this is what's happening. I had nothing to do with it. So anyways, this all lends back to like, just trust the information that you get from people. You've got to be real careful, especially on deals that come with section eight, make sure you take the time. Don't let people rush you get responses from the section eight housing authority, because as soon as you own that contract and if they could ever, 
insinuate that you participated in it, even mistakenly, it's a federal crime. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. That's good too. I personally like to chat with all the tenants as well uh, because yeah. that's, that's where you'll really find some good detailed information. Some of it's, you know, you can overlook, but you can get a lot of, you know, just with the fourplex that we have right now, we just a few days before closing, we found out a ton more information and we almost, it gave us more negotiating power. <laughs> yep. So, so I took advantage of it, but deep down I wasn't going to, not close on the deal, but I made it seem like I was, I was about to bow out because, you know, they were saying one thing originally. And then once I talked to the, the horse's mouth, you know, I find out all the detailed information. Oh, here's the truth. Imagine that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I used to go to the buildings and, um, you know, interview the tenants myself the best I could, but a lot of, you know, and, and it's those situations where the, the landlord goes, uh, you know, the current owner goes like, we haven't told the tenants we're selling the building. So if you could go ahead and do the same way. That. And I'm just like, oh, okay, that yeah. sounds great. Like, and we're, we're running over there now. Right. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, who cares if they sell the building? Like nobody, nobody in the end, nobody cares. Exactly. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. In fact, they've now got a new guy who's going to come in and in order to keep their business, they get to go ahead and throw around all kinds of demands. I need this fixed. I need that fixed. Exactly. This guy's been telling me for a year. Right, you want to be my friend, you want me to pay the rent, like all this stuff. Yeah. So I've got a guy now, and his name is Julio, and he's from Puerto Rico. He speaks Spanish, which is fantastic. Yep. And he goes around and he knocks on the door on, on my company's behalf, and he's got this like super sweet face to him, right? <laughs> like he's just super friendly, and he just knows all the right questions to ask, and, and I pay him a hundred bucks a door to do it. Boom. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. He yeah. has saved my ass more times than I can imagine. Yeah, that's so good. We do that before the offer, by the way. Before yeah, the yeah, offer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't don't before be like the offer. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't be like. <laughs> me. All right, well, Tom, I appreciate you so much. There's nothing but you know, ton of gold nuggets on this episode. Oh, so thank how you. Can I mean, you gave a, a ton of value and a lot of your time double now. The first time it was just recorded one on one with me. <laughs> but, I love this um, stuff, man. You can't, you, I can't get enough of it. So don't worry about me. Yeah, I appreciate you, brother. What can the listeners or myself do to give back to you? You know, right now, I'm honestly, like I said, I'm slowing down for a lot of reasons, but. I'm a sucker for a good deal. So if, you know, somebody needs help somewhere, if somebody wants to transition from this business to that business, anything off market that, you know, has real value, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of junk. But yeah, give me, give me a call, email me. I, you know, I, I'm not looking to brag or anything. You know, we're, if, if, if you've heard anything from me in this episode, it's, it's that I hedge, 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 which means that I have a lot of capital reserve accounts. And we're always in a cash-heavy spot. We have all of our lines of credit. So we can usually move on pretty sizable deals very, very fast. Yeah. And anybody who's looking to sell, I mean, you got to sell in order to buy. So, That's right. yeah, give me a call. Hit me up on my email. Hit me up in, you know, through Facebook. Cool. We'll how, how can people get a hold of you? So uh, you can hit me up through my, my, I only have personal Facebook. So that's just, you know, Thomas Gagnon. And I, uh, I'm north of Boston in Massachusetts and Beverly. You can also email us directly at the office at mbfenterprises.info at gmail.com. So that's mbf enterprises with an S on the end dot info at gmail.com. I'll show them that email one day. It's too long. But, and then, uh, you know, I'm not going to post my phone number on a, on a podcast, but you know, if you email me, 
I'm always happy and actually prefer to talk over the phone, talk in person on something. So feel free to reach out to me and I'll be happy to share my more personal contact information and go from there. I love that. Tom, you do seriously have like a huge heart, heart of gold that constantly always, always in the avenue of giving, which I, I highly love. And uh, that's, that's the type of people I love connecting with. So yeah. I'm super excited and glad that we were able to, to knock out this podcast episode and give back to the listeners tremendous amount of gold we definitely got to get you back on as well because we need to deep dive into all these other yeah i feel like we kind of gave like the title page here man you know what I mean? yeah. you know yeah. i mean some of the stuff we we dove deep on a little bit not even deep but just we sort of just skimmed the surface but yeah it's definitely we, we definitely know what the chapters are called now that's right, That's right. <laughs> we got to create a book out of this afterwards <laughs> well tom i appreciate you so much any of the listeners make sure that you guys reach out to this man as well as hit that subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast so you get the newest notification every single Monday and leave a review. Let me know what you guys think about it. You can always find me at brandonelliotinvestments.com. Otherwise, Brandon Elliott Investments for Instagram or facebook.com slash brandonelliottrei. Also, facebook.com slash brandonelliottrei investor. So you guys are more than welcome to reach out. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, would love to hear from you guys. And if you guys hit that subscribe button and leave a review, just send a screenshot of that over to me anywhere on social media. And I'll send you my book action driven, absolutely free. Give it to you guys right on now. the house. <laughs> <laughs> so appreciate you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you very soon next week. Tom, you're the man. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much, Brennan, man. I can't appreciate it enough. Yeah, God bless. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliottinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.